Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, February 9th, and this is episode number one of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm the Count of Monte Cristos, and today I'm joined by my two co-hosts, the Sultan of Saki. Hey, hey, hey. And the Duke of Hoagies. Ricky, this is amazing. How is the no. uh, Pennsylvania accent? Hey. The Hoagies? I, I don't hoagies. know. You see, the thing is, I lived there for 24 years, but... I wasn't born there, so I don't think I have it as bad as everybody else. Like, I'm not like, that dude's an <laughs> asshole or something like that. Or, you know, I, I don't, do I say hoagie weird? Not as, not as uh, bad as your wife does. Or water. Water. Like, I don't, I don't say water. Those no. are grinders where you're from, though, right? What? Uh, I guess, yeah. Hot hoagies are grinders where I'm from. Uh, that, that sounded like, you know, the New Jersey, Pennsylvania accent. I gotta run to the packy. <laughs> <laughs> Get to the cat. Well, you don't have the Boston <laughs> accent that bad either, because I hung out with some cats from Peabody, and they were they were trying to ask me if I wanted to play dots, but they were saying darts, and I was like, what's dots? <laughs> and he's like, you know, dots. And I'm like, cool. uh, it's like I'm thinking it's some kind of like crossword puzzle, connect the dot kind of game or something like that. I don't connect know. Four. Yeah. And he it's finally pointed helpful. to a dartboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When someone doesn't understand the word that you're saying repronouncing it exactly the same way is probably not the solution to the problem. So if the object you're trying to describe is nearby, pointing to it is, is, is the move of winners. So are you a transplant then, Tim? No, I, it comes out on certain words. And also it should be noted that we're, what, 17 seconds in and we're already derailed. We haven't said the disclaimer. Gary's already said asshole. We're really off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Bang up job, guys. Bang up job. Oh, what is the disclaimer? The disclaimer is, thank you for asking, Gary. We recognize that individual sensitivities vary, and while we aim to respect that, our jokes and discussions can and probably will cross certain boundaries of decency. If you have sensitivities or sensibilities, either one. If you have, <laughs> if you have delicate sensibilities, then we recommend you avoid listening to our show. So we got a new show. Yeah. What's this about? Uh, Carousel Progress, I believe. Right. Well, I think in a broader sense, imaginary. Yeah. Imagineering in the parks. Really talking Disney and armchair imagineering projects without just completely bitching about how everything sucks because that's there's a lot of that going around around right now and I don't know I think it starts to get old after a while I still like the parks I still go and I like to talk about things that could be even if they never do happen and even things that are new you know just armchair imagineering stuff is always fun to me in the past and so I kind of want to continue that yeah I think I think the opportunity that we're trying to seize on is instead of just saying what the company did was wrong or stupid or ill-informed, uh, just sort of taking a somewhat imaginary journey into being the people in middle management who have to pitch potential changes to the park to upper management to, to put ourselves in the sort of high-pressure situation of saying, well, what would we actually do if, if that's what we were tasked with? And that means not simply saying uh, the way we're going to fix Epcot is to be rebuild Horizons. You know, these have to be... What we're going to try and do is come up with ideas that are that are exciting and innovative, but also that are palatable and that can be presented to management in a way that actually supports a business model and that might have a chance of actually getting built if we were to hypothetically ever have the chance to make that pitch. I think. Having also, said that, I, yeah, I was going to say okay. I think also this model will afford us more food in the long run. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Clearly, way to make use of that disclaimer early on. Got to get your check marks in there. Well, I said poon. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, to, to Josh's point about uh, rebuilding Horizons, I believe that was uh, the first priority of every one of our wouldn't it be cool if conversations. Like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if they rebuilt Horizons? So that should be on the list. But uh, to that point, we've had those conversations. We've had the, yeah, it'd be cool if they did this. It'd be cool if they did that. We want to look at it a little bit more analytically. And 
identify real problems in the park, come up with solutions, and come up with realistic solutions. So, unfortunately, the the motivation in the park at times is you know pushing IPs where they're applicable and sometimes even where they're not. So the way we're going to approach some of these Imagineering things is at least one of these solutions is probably going to have an intellectual property tied to it if it's if it's relevant. If it's if we're saying all right, we need to uh, put an attraction in the Japan Pavilion, then one of them is probably going to have to have an intellectual property tied to it like, as part of, as part of that conversation because that's just the reality of what we're working with now. Well, and then, I think you know, moving from there. Corporate sponsorships would also work, though. Yeah, time is For going Epcot, to reveal me yeah. to be a little bit less ambitious with regard to to the IP tie-ins. Not not that not that I disagree with what you're saying. That clearly is the direction that the company's going, but it it didn't used to be the company the direction that the company went. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily the case that we have to resign ourselves to that being that way forever. No, I agree. Um, the one thing that that's been a miss, if you look at movies like Tomorrowland, for example, you know Disney. It's easy to look at a company like Disney as being this monolithic thing, but it's not. It's people. It's people that are making decisions. It's people who uh, want to move up in the ranks. They want to get their bonuses. They don't want to be the person who greenlights a project that blows up because obviously that makes them look bad. So, I, I think one of the opportunities is going to be to look for ways to uh, evolve the park. That may or may not be tied to IP, but in a way that is, you know, forward-looking, but actually has some possibility of having success in the marketplace. And that's what they haven't found. And I think the natural instinct. I mean, look, it's like, you know, you only have to touch the stove once when you're a little kid, or twice if you're slow. Um, <laughs> you know, you eventually learn. And Disney has touched the stove of futurism a lot, or at least several times in the last, uh, you know, five or ten years, and it's gotten burned every time. So. It's understandable that they're a little bit gun-shy with regard to moving in those directions. And I think if you are a middle manager who believes in that, you've got to find ways that are not just going to be a fun ride for you and your kid to go on. It's got to be something that actually uh, can connect with audience, that can bring people into the park, and that can have some commercial viability. You're going to tell me the Alpine Skyways are not the wave of the future? (laughs) (laughs) Without air conditioning. (laughs) Well, Well, do we know that for a fact yet? Uh, I'm, so, I'm saying no AC. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking too. So, I mean, if you... This show, by the way, I mean, is to some degree the progeny of WWE King of Past and, you know, fanboys. I mean, that, that, that's where our backgrounds are. And, you know, we've discussed it on both of those shows. But I have gone into great depth about the technical problems of putting air conditioning in those cabins. It does seem that they've been overcome in some installations. But uh, Mac May... Uh, of Kingdom Cast fame, did reach out to Jim Hill and said, so what is the deal on this? And Jim Hill, uh, to the extent that he can, as an outsider, confirm something, said, these things will not have AC. But don't you talk so, to the Van Roll guy? He, like, makes them Van, Von Roll. Von yeah, Roll. Well, it was, yeah. as That'd far be, as I know, there's no Von Roll that has air conditioning. You need a Von so. Roll bakery in Epcot. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it, it should be noted that Mac's actual question to Jim was, how are you doing? And then Jim responded with a 16-page dissertation <laughs> on whether or not well, they have air conditioning. <laughs> Well, that's um, where it gets interesting. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to Josh's point, though, I think that uh, the push for intellectual properties, movie-based intellectual properties in the park, is a safe one. And it's why there's an appeal by uh, the non-creatives in the company. 
Um, what I think uh, the danger is, and something that we've identified, I've identified certainly in Mice Chat articles, and I think you guys have identified on Kingdom Cast, is that when you when you put something where it doesn't belong, or if, if the fit is a little bit odd, in many cases, there's stories, there's treatments of these intellectual properties that can fit in a lot of different places. Take like Indiana Jones, for example. There are story treatments that could put Indiana Jones in all four parks. Yep. Like there, there's ways to do it. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a best choice, but there are ways to put Indiana Jones in the Magic Kingdom. There's obviously a ride in Disneyland. There's a way to put it in the Animal Kingdom because paleontology and archaeology are close enough to your average theme park guest. While there's a significant difference there, you can you can kind of make that work. Well, the only thing with um, it, putting it there, though, is imagine if they put it in that area in Dinoland and you put an Indiana Jones ride, unless they were going to go with the coaster... Well, park has the coaster again. The uh, Indiana Jones coaster is at Japan. There's one in Paris and in Disney Sea. Okay, so because I mean, I'd highly doubt they put the same ride, especially with the same layout, right next to Dinosaur. But yeah, I agree that you could put it there in that area and to get rid of Primeval World and all that. And just if you put an Indiana Jones section in there, that'd be an IP. I think a lot of people would be down for. Yeah. Especially if you could do that Temple of Doom coaster and, like, you know, have it go over some fake lava and, lava and stuff, maybe some heat coming off it. Like, you know, it, it could be done well, I think. As I long think, as it's not a clone of that off-the-shelf coaster, then that's fine. No, I want a yeah. whole new one. I mean, yeah. the off-the-shelf stuff, I mean, I don't know. It's just that you, you, build, you have to build around it, and I think if it doesn't give you as much flexibility to do stuff as if you just, you know, conform the track to what, what works well with the ride. I mean, you imagine if they were trying to fit the Yeti into an off-the-shelf coaster, it just it wouldn't work. You know, you just have to put it in the middle of a helix someplace, and you just kind Stick of it around it. right in the middle of a crazy mass coaster. Yeah. Just hope for the best. <laughs> Your point about Indiana Jones is an interesting one, because we have sort of devolved, as of many, of talking about attractions as either in this binary way of either they're IP-based or they're not. But the yeah. fact is that not all IP lends itself equally to be incorporated into an attraction. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, Indiana Jones, for example, just the aesthetic of it, the placemaking of it, even if you didn't know who any of those characters were, um, it doesn't really diminish that much from from the experience. Whereas if you go with something um, that's more character-focused... Toy Story. Yeah, you really are kind of dependent upon there being a connection to those characters for people to really get it. Otherwise, it's just sort of a carnival experience that isn't going to have, you know, a deep connection that people grow nostalgic for over time. Do you think Guardians of the Galaxy be a timeless attraction? I mean, obviously there's IP attractions that are timeless, like uh, Peter Pan and the Snow White attraction, which I guess you'd say is timeless, but it's gone now from WW at least. And even Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Uh, do you think something like Guardians of the Galaxy 40 years from now is still there under the same name, or do you think it's repurposed to something else? Do you think those are timeless movie attractions? So I've heard a few things on the Guardians of the Galaxy attraction, beyond the stupid budget that it's going to have, um, that the design of that is possibly going to be a coaster that can be rethemed, you know, every decade or so. That sort of concept isn't a bad one, but your, your question, there's no real way to answer that other than it's not the best fit for the park. It just seems that when they make attractions that are just based simply on experiences, like Expedition Everest is probably the last mm-hmm. one they did, they're timeless. They're around forever. Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, they're just attractions that 
are based on just an experience and they'll never get old because you kind of just put your own story to it. But it seems like when you have an IP attraction, it's like, well, that's not probably going to be there forever. With the, like I said, the exception being Fantasyland because those are made timeless because they were there at an opening of the park. And I guess those movies really are timeless, but like Avatar, that's not timeless. I mean, come on, dude. Ten, nobody cares about no, it now, let alone 10 years from now. I guarantee that gets repurposed into just an uh, alien landscape or even shoehorn it into Beastly Kingdom, you know? Not, they, not only is Avatar not timeless, Avatar was not timely when the park was built. I mean, it wasn't true. even... I mean, <laughs> if you ask me as a business person to, to predict when a company would make a mistake by buying into IP, it would be at the, at the peak of a bubble. You know, I, I would point to something maybe like Frozen, although <laughs> they were even late there, yep. you know? But, but Avatar, I, I think most people, the react... And, and I could be wrong, maybe I'm living in a bubble here, but the reaction that I saw was basically raised eyebrows when that announcement was made. It's like, really? Avatar? Yeah, it just it, it didn't make a lot of sense tra- then? And, a lot yeah. of sad trap bones played that day. It was a confusing announcement. Now, having said that, though, we look at uh, the actual thematic uh, setup of it and the story treatment they gave for Pandora. It fits. It's an odd choice, but they basically chose to create an alien world that happened to be tied to Avatar. They didn't. Like, it, it, if Avatar didn't exist as a movie and they created that land with James Cameron from scratch, it would be great. Oh, yeah, I would. I, I agree. But, I think the Avatar just kind of like diminishes the whole thing overall. The it, uh, the movie tie-in is hopefully irrelevant enough so that the land can almost live beyond it, and that should be the goal of any intellectual property tie-in, where you don't need a previous knowledge of the characters or the experiences in order for it to benefit you well it's kind of true i mean i don't know any of the characters from avatar i did sit through it once and going into the land for the first time i completely disregarded the movie and it was great even riding um, a flight of passage and everything like that it didn't matter if you didn't see the movie you were just flying over this alien land you didn't need to know any of the commercial no, yeah. uh, characters i mean they didn't use sigourney weaver in there like is there anybody in the movie none of the characters even? are represented yeah no. So, I think that's the, smart. Yeah, it's the takeaways from the movie. It's the land. It's the flora. It's the fauna. That was the takeaway. It's set thirty years later, and it helps that they can create a land from scratch. Whereas when you're trying to shoehorn, be it an intellectual property or just anything else, where you're trying to like fit into an existing building, uh, you dilute whatever the overall theme of the land was, and that's that's the big criticism on something like Frozen, where I think the the story treatment for the meet and greet. Uh, this is a place where in this mythical Scandinavian world of Arendelle, these people, uh, this family visited Norway on a summer vacation. Okay, I buy that as a story. Yeah, that's, summer houses would have been enough. To be honest. Yeah, that, that's an, that's conceptually explains why they're there. But the ride, this is just a frozen ride that happens to be in Norway. There's nothing that ties it to Norway. There's no significance to Norway other than the setting being Norway. It doesn't tie into anything culturally doesn't uh, uh, really tie into anything specifically Norwegian. So. And I, I think that is, to some degree, the double-edged sword that comes with IP, is when you base such an attraction on IP, you basically have a skeleton to work with. But Gary mentioned the Snow White attraction earlier. Well, that was deficient in a lot of ways in terms of actually representing the movie, but it, it was sort of disconnected enough from the IP to where people didn't have that expectation that you were going to get a complete telling of the story and even if you do a complete telling of the story is that really good it's kind of like the cliff's notes of a movie that Pretty much. you know it, report rides aren't good 
I, I agree 100%. Wild Mr. And I, but I don't think most people... I think the expectation when people got on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was, was nothing. Whatever you gave them was going to be a surprise, which gives a lot of artistic uh, creative license to the people designing yeah. the attraction. When you get on a Frozen ride with your seven-year-old who's watched the movie 237,000 times, um, any storytelling deficiencies there are going to be readily apparent. So that's you know that's does a challenge that, one, that does actually I never thought of that this though does the Frozen ride actually tell the story of Frozen because no it it just kind of shows the characters and you go through different scenes like I've seen that movie probably twice I, but, I never thought but, about it it actually just doesn't tell the story it's just like yeah. hey here's the characters all right there but you go. that's <laughs> your point is well taken but I I don't think it actually changes the point I was trying to make which is that in and of itself is somewhat ponderous. You know what I mean? Because you're calling it Frozen. If you just said, hey, we're going to take you into this myth- mythical land, then whatever they show you is great. But if it's just this sort of voyeuristic peek at a bunch of characters from a movie that you already know, with no explanation as to why they're there or what they're doing, that creates almost like a cognitive dissonance. It's like, well, what is happening? What am I looking at? And keep in mind, tying back to Avatar, if you look at the creative lead there, Joe Rohde, you know, this guy posts 500-page dissertations on why there's an air conditioning vent and a rock there. (laughs) So if he's willing to do that, you have to believe that he he must understand why they chose Avatar and what the point was. (laughs) He was well well, I think what happened in that situation and back to Pandora is that it was decided by people above Joe Rogan, probably Tom Staggs, probably uh, Bob Iger, and said, this is an intellectual property that's proper, uh, that's popular, and they're not necessarily understanding why it's popular. They're not understanding that there aren't exactly merchandise options here. But you tell me they you, just know, you don't want to buy a tail. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's what it is, though. It's like, uh, there's a clip from the old fanboys of Jim Hill saying, get your Avatar loincloths here. Yeah, I always think of that uh, every time I see a gift stand. They uh, they kind of struck gold at least for you know the first summer with those banshee puppets. But what what Joe Rody did is he looked at it and said, "All right, this isn't a great fit. We don't want to have a battle scene in the Animal Kingdom. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense." And that was a lot of what the movie was. But there's also underlying elements in the movie that he was able to take out of it and tie it into some of the thematic principles of the Animal Kingdom and made it a great fit. And you can look back at uh, the the parks where this is most controversial, I think, are Epcot and the Animal Kingdom. And I think really Epcot more than anything. Uh, I think just people have uh, a longer history with that park, a childhood history with that park where you've got that sentimentality of what you remembered as a kid. But trying to find ways for Epcot to evolve properly is difficult. And something that uh, Tom Fitzgerald said uh, last year at the D23 Expo was in regards to World Showcase that uh, we're looking at the countries around the world and the stories they inspire, which has never been a part of it. It, Epcot has always, and I gotta find the actual uh, Tony Baxter I mean, quote. The, the, the stories they inspire in terms of Disney IPs. Yeah, exactly, and that was their that was their easy way to kind of explain why Frozen goes in there, and uh, now why Ratatouille does. And I actually have less of a problem with Ratatouille because Ratatouille hits on a significant a component French, of French yeah. French uh, uh, culture. It talks about food. There's actual representation of France and Paris in the attraction. So I have less of an issue with that. And like Coco is a strong rumor for Mexico. That makes all the sense in the world. See, I get uh, things like that. I think Morocco so, did it well because there's an Aladdin meet and greet, but it's so hidden back in the bazaar that if you didn't want to see it, you'd never know it was there. 
And those character uh, meet and greets in World Showcase, people complain about those as well. They've basically been there since 1983. They've been, yeah. There have been characters that's there. That's the least of the since. problems for Epcot is character yeah. meet and greets. That's what you yeah. want, and as long as I'm not getting rid of it, you know, just so they can slide that. It's not really you want, but I'd take that over gutting a pavilion just to make it all IP based. You know, I mean, you're going to have to have characters. Everybody knows the story when Epcot opened up. Everybody said, "Where's the characters?" So you put little meet and greets around stuff. It's when you start taking out attractions to dedicate yep. them all to a, a character based IP thing that people are like, "All right, come on, dude." Like, if I wanted to go hang out with characters over with the fan, you got three other parks that have that. You know, I mean, Epcot I mean, is the unique thing, and adults be a lot. There's a lot of adults. It's their favorite park. I know that, like, you know, there's throw wise and stuff like that. I mean, it's got a little bit of that. But they like going to different countries and sampling stuff. There's not many places. I actually I can't think of any other place in the world besides a World's Fair, unless it's currently going on. That you can jump to 11 different countries and try sampling the different foods. And a lot of people like to compare it to being a mini mall or something like that. But I don't know. I've never been one that was that well themed before. If it is, I mean, I don't feel like I'm at the mall when I'm there. I mean, it's it works. It's, it's have hard. you guys listened? Have you guys listened to uh, any of the Tony Baxter interviews that were done on the uh, Season Pass podcast? Yeah, they've done. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So in one of them, he discusses kind of principles of the parks and magic kingdom. He said, it's, it's where fantasy becomes real and Epcot is where real becomes fantasy. Yeah. And I think like that, that's a very simplistic, but kind of impressive understanding of the difference between those two parks where you take something in Epcot that seems, uh, you know, real and make it so that it, it's beyond real. And I think Soren accomplishes that. It's, it's actually very uh, interesting that you say that because that is part of the thesis of what our main topic is going to be tonight with regard to Carousel of Progress. So, yeah. uh, we can we circle back to that because I, I sure. actually have a lot to say about that particular point. Okay, and maybe we should go in some of the various show dynamics we were talking about. We have a handful of different approaches to this, and some of it uh, will just be the three of us. Um, I suspect we're, we're talking about Carousel of Progress uh, later this evening, but. That show, uh, Carousel of Progress as a topic itself, is going to be multiple shows. There, there's no way around that because of what we have in mind here. But um, we looked at ways to identify certain problems. So we pick out whatever the problem may be, and we wanted to look at uh, like a budget-conscious solution. You're, all right, this is something we can do in six months, if not less, for, for short money. Uh, a mid-range solution, which is very likely what is going to be the one that we, you know, that you can get through a pitch meeting. And the big budget solution is that pie in the sky thing that rarely, if ever, happens. But as we come up with those, the, the big budget solution is the one with Horizons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But a, as we go over things like that, uh, Josh had a great idea, and you may want to uh, explain and expand on this further. That. This doesn't just have to be the three of us pitching things. You had an idea for a Shark Tank uh, style show where yeah. where we might put it on the listeners to come up with ideas. And even in that framework, outside of that framework, that might be a uh, future uh, show show framework that we have. And the other idea was to reverse that to where maybe we have a few listeners on and, and we each take a treatment of an attraction and, and pitch it. Um, yeah, because that too. One thing that I that I do think is valuable that's that's maybe been missing from from our other shows and attempts to do this is that we've always sort of been very inside out in how we do it. It's just sort of what we think we're projecting it out there, rather than getting the constructive criticism of people who might not like the idea. Because one of the things, if you want to pitch an idea and you want to move it through the process of getting greenlit, you have to be able to 
not only anticipate what the naysayers are going to come up with, but have responses to those criticisms. And you have to be willing to recognize that, hey, even though the idea might seem great to you, it's probably not perfect. It probably has deficiencies. And the people who tend to succeed at getting these ideas through are the ones who can play the game and the ones who can sort of latch on to what the spirit and the heart of the idea is and make that happen, even if they have to make concessions uh, to management or others to get them done. Because otherwise, what you end up with is what we've basically done in the past, which is, yeah, rebuild Horizons. Hey, no one loves Horizons more than me. I would love that. But, you know, signing a uh, petition to have them do that isn't likely to succeed. No. So That doesn't do anything. Yeah. If you want to rebuild nope. Horizons, come up with an idea. Come up with a pitch. Come up with a new angle cool. for Horizons. Right. What does you... that mean? You know, can you answer the question, what made Horizons great? It's great to say that Horizons was a great attraction, but why was it great? I wish I what could was do concept a- art. I'd just come up with all this bogus shit and leak it out there. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be pretty good. And, the, and then just, just right, let, let everybody Horizon Century it. 3. Yep. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, Century no. 4. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon. Well, think about all these too ideas. soon. <laughs> well, all these ideas you can come up with, if you could actually get them out of your head and put them on paper and just put them out there, you know, I don't know. They would just be and, cool. And, and for the record... Um, when Tim and I conceived of what became the show, probably about a year ago, uh, it was not a podcast. Our, our original idea was actually to try and produce uh, written pitches, whether it be in the form of a blog or longer form writing with graphics. And that's why Tim came to me because I like farting around with Photoshop a little bit, you know. And what we what we essentially realized is that as we started talking about what we wanted to discuss and the scope of what we actually wanted to address, we just said, you know, that pragmatically speaking. We don't have the ability to produce that content in written form. It would just take way too much time. It's like, what is the laziest slack bass way we can produce it? We're like, podcast it is. Yep, exactly, exactly. But the uh, the approach to it as well is is interesting. Where we have never sat down a blue in a blue sky meeting in Imagineering. I'd love to. I think being a fly on the wall in one of those would be amazing. But we kind of hypothesized what we thought that would be like. And when you when you have a new attraction, you need to be able to pitch it at various levels. So uh, the, the term that Josh uh, keyed me into was uh, elevator pitch. You need to be able to sell it in one or two sentences. But all that does is pique somebody's interest. It's not good. It might get them on the ride. It might not necessarily tell them the, uh, uh, the story of the ride or anything other than it might just get them on the ride. So that's something that at the very least on our uh, on this particular show, with our approach to Carousel of Progress, we need to get the elevator pitches out there. And then from there, we had a basic story, where we established the basic story. That, I think, is more of the um, true blue sky things, where you're hitting on plot points. And this is going to be kind of an overview of that uh, uh, the guest's first experience on the attraction. And then, like Disney does better than anybody else, uh, are the details, those layers of story. And this is kind of the third level. And that's going to be identifying things, be it a line of dialogue or something in the foreground or background that uh, you didn't notice before uh, that you see on the 10th experience of an attraction that uh, just shows that this, it might not make sense. You might not understand why something's there, but it makes sense in the nonlinear story of that particular attraction. So to that layers of story component, though, like that's that's the, you know, really what Joe Rody is great at, where he... Uh, spends exorbitant amounts of money to take trips to, you know, the middle of nowhere and find things, find little things that make sense in the context of something. Where Josh referenced an Instagram post earlier where if you break from a theme, people notice it. But if you 
have, you know, everything the way that it should be. People don't necessarily consciously notice that something is the way that it should be, but it feels right. They can't explain why, it just feels right. And those are the things where those layers of story, uh, you know, a set dressing on something like Carousel of Progress makes sense, where if you're in a 1940s scene and you have a, a movie poster from, you know, 1961, all right, that might seem out of place there, that type of stuff. So... Right. Those, those are the type of things that is what Disney does better than anybody else. Agreed. Something you just said, it's, it's funny. You and I are definitely on the same page here. As I was doing my homework for this for this episode, I, I really sat down and I looked at Carousel Progress and I said, this is a ride that's beloved. And it reminded me a lot of back when I was doing photography. What I found is you could take a picture that was a, you know a good picture and show it to a room full of people and they would all agree it's a good picture. You could show them a bad picture and they would agree it's a bad picture. But when you ask them you could ask them why the bad picture is bad and people could tell you it's blurring or it's, it's blurry or it's boring or there's some focus issues. But when you show them a great picture and everybody agrees that they like it, people have an incredibly difficult time of understanding, let alone being able to explain what it is that they like about it. And I, I was sort of alluding to that to that earlier. I think that theme park attractions present that same challenge to people, which is that it's easy to go on an attraction and, and have a sense that, wow, that was great. I really loved it. But to understand, like, what is the essence of it? You know, what is it about that thing that connects with people? That is a, it's not, it's not math. You know, it's this, it's this combination of art and science and psychology. And particularly when we talk about modifying attractions, which is where we're, we're going to be going tonight. You know, if you leave these things alone, a lot of them run the risk of dating themselves out. They become obsolete, basically. They're, you know, even if the story is timeless, the presentation and the technology might age to the point where people lose interest in it. So that necessitates revitalizing these things and giving them overhauls from time to time. But I think the risk there is that if the people that are in charge of making these decisions haven't truly grasped what the spirit of these attractions are, they risk eradicating the charm as they try to bring it up to date. And that's, and that's what I worry about with Carousel Progress. I don't think absolutely. That, that current management grasps the idea that this is something... Walt touched himself and worked on and was made for a World's Fair. This is where I want the show to be different than anything we've done in the past. Because instead of just saying, I'm afraid of management touching it, I want to dig deep and specifically identify what is the character and charm of that ride. What is it specifically that we don't want them to change? What needs to be changed in order to modernize it or in order to keep it relevant? But what are those sacred things that we have to make sure that we stay hands off of? I think... To me, I think that's where the exciting part is. And if we were sitting in that boardroom, we would have to answer those questions. I think Carousel Progress offers a very unique thing for an attraction in terms of if you change the last scene, you have to change the narration for all the scenes. I mean, yeah. you could just use all different characters, but it's just not going to work. So if you change the last scene or update the last scene, the entire attraction has to change. That doesn't mean you need to get rid of all the sets because I don't want them to get rid of the first you know, three scenes. Mm-hmm. By any means, or backdrops, or touch any of it. There's nothing wrong with it. You're, you're talking about a time period that already passed. It's not like, oh, hold on, we forgot to put in, you know, a new uh, sewing machine or something like that. You know, there, there's nothing you can add to a past uh, um, episode that isn't already there. But for the the we were talking about before, maybe doing the periods in between. Obviously, we did 1900, 1920, 1940, and then 1960 was originally. Because that brought you to the now, and General Electric wanted to show off the appliances they had. And then when they brought mm-hmm. it to Disneyland, it was still, uh, you know, it wasn't the 1960s. Now it was what we would have in the future. And then they did the same thing when 
they redid it to now is the time. The same thing, you know, it was always twenty years off in the future for, and they brought it back to a great big beautiful tomorrow. Yep. Now, especially the technology we have now, they need to shoot really far in the future. Put progress, well, or they get, or go back to putting nineteen, the nineteen sixty four version, or the the version from Disneyland with Progress City outside the window. And just leave it as a timepiece. But I think what we want to do is add more scenes at one point, right? Or do we want to talk about how we want to redo the narration for all the scenes? I mean, well, what's the so, answer to add on? Or well, so let me let me try and hit on what I when I went and did my homework, which I which by the way, in my attempt to try and distill what the heart and soul of this attraction is, I actually found it to be pretty challenging to come up with yeah. something meaningful and articulable. But I'll tell you what I came up with, and you guys could tell me if I'm crazy here. But Magic Kingdom as a whole, is a place that provides a mechanism of escape, right? And it typically does it through fantasy, by creating a different place that you go. You're not thinking about the bills or your job or your boss or your mortgage because you are, you know, flying over London or because you're riding through a, a mine full of gems or whatever. I, I always thought of it more and, as a time machine, but go ahead. Well, it's interesting. Carousel of Progress is an odd attraction out in a world that creates escapism through a transition in place because it's all about real life. But the thing that is most interesting to me about Carousel of Progress is that it provides a mode of escape by time. And in that regard, the most important scene in Carousel of Progress is the one that isn't there, which is the present. Yeah, that's true. Right? You have the 1900s, you got the 20s, you got the 40s. Most people, now maybe if you're 87... If you were in World War II and you still, you know, have strong feelings about that, maybe a scene from the 40s would be upsetting to you. But I think that most people who are walking into that theater are not being, you know, emotionally upset by those no, but historical I, I did nail down the exact dates or the exact years for each segment, and it is 1945, October. So if we're talking World War II, that's the, World War II ended, I believe, September 1st or September 2nd, yep. 1945. So it is... Uh, I believe it was the only Wednesday of like that month or of that there's ten day or ten days that uh, Halloween could that, have fell on on the calendar on the wall and this is this is an incredible Rain Man didactic memory <laughs> dump from Gary. No, he's he's, he's right impressive. though. I have the same thing. I have, there's a calendar on one of the scrims that appears to be 1945, but the scene may take place later in the fourth. Well, you can't tell what year it is, but it's Halloween and it says that yeah. it's on a Wednesday. And I went back and looked at all the calendars, and the yeah. only the only year that it was on a Wednesday was 1945. And there's similar things to determine the first two scenes, where I think what 1898 and 1927 are yeah. the other ones. Right. But to to sort of wrap up where I was going, if we agree that the lack of a scene in the present is important then what i would identify identify as the most critical threat facing that attraction now is that the alleged future scene is becoming precariously close to being the present in fact i think you could make a pretty strong argument that it's actually probably in the past now in 2001 i'd say (laughs) well it was done in 93 right so 94 In 93, I mean, put yourself in the headspace of 1993 and predict appliances that you talk to. They nailed it. And and not only did they nail the technology, they nailed the defects in the technology. And that's, if we're to do a new pitch to it, that's what I'd hit on. I'd still hit on voice activation because that's an easy enough punchline that you can play off of that still and just do it in a different way. And and I think, and I have a, it's interesting you said, I have a very specific proposal for that. I do so, as well. <laughs> I cheated. A phone okay. that you can smell through. <laughs> <laughs> I call it eye smell. <laughs> 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 
and would you send your buddy too far to phone and send it to your buddies a text? You know I would. Yeah, I definitely would. would. <laughs> if I could send it to you right now, I would. <laughs> <laughs> you have a you have a you have an IQ from Josh. <laughs> <laughs> So what I did is I said, where can you look today to get some insight into the technology that might affect everyday life in 20 to 30 years? And the best answer I could come up with was CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. There's an old expression that companies use CES to display products that they're actually never going to ship. And there's some interesting ones that are there. And like one of the things that's sort of big is the architectural use of what we consider to be discrete electronic devices right now. So building a house where every wall in the place can be a screen and you can just pull up information on any place on the wall that you want. You know, that would be easy to do. It would be impressive. Uh, and I think it lends itself to storytelling. So that's something I would want to put in the ride. Okay. How would you paint that? Or is it a projection? How would you paint that? <laughs> I mean, so it's at CES this year. Uh, it was Sony showed a product they call Cletus, which is a funny name. Yeah, that sounds, sounds high like tech a, to me. It sounds <laughs> like got that like new Cletus G- TV. Jan Clampett's cousin or whatever, but it, it's it's like a crystal LED integrated structure, and that's basically what it is. Is you want to build, you don't want to put, you don't want to paint, you don't want to put wallpaper up. You want this wall to be. Uh, you know, an infinite bleed display. I always thought it, something we would have now is something they had in Back to the Future, whereas you have these movie screens. Please. Retract. No, no, but like a window where you could change the scenery outside. But, you know, they have that 3D, like in uh, uh, Nintendo 3DS, where it's 3D, but you don't need 3D glasses. Yeah, lenticular 3D. So if you had that on a window and you put some kind of ceiling, like, say I want to be sitting in, like, you know, I don't know, a Paris, like, garden or, or uh, Palace of Versailles or something like that, I could just switch to that. Or say I want to be sitting in the middle of Epcot or something like that, I could switch to that and it actually look 3D when I was looking out the window. I figured that'd be, like, commonplace now. Who the hell wants windows? Like, yeah. you look at the same thing outside <laughs> all the time. Like This is this is what happens when you let computer nerds talk about how to build a house. You get, you get comments who like, the who the hell wants windows? My windows are all completely blacked out. I only open them at night. <laughs> but no, to, your, I, to your point, though, that, that's not unrealistic for a final scene for this attraction. Having the ability to outside the window, yeah. Yeah, that's not unrealistic at all. And that's not far off from something that they're going to do in the Star Wars Hotel and the uh, space restaurant and things like that. They're doing it on the Disney cruise ships right now. Yeah, they're already doing it. Yeah. So, totally doable. I I say go ahead. The light is green. Go ahead and get that installed by Monday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So, we're we're kind of jumping ahead of even the... uh, we're, We're already in, like, pitch mode before I think even fully going through oh, what cool. the actual attraction is about and yeah, how the, the attraction is set up. So each the, the first three scenes, everybody that's been on the attraction knows this, but they feature a monologue except from Derek. John, except for Derek, uh, where he does an overview of pop culture and technology, and then he checks in with the other members of the family, and there's generally some, like, playful ribbing. And it's it kind of, it's not obviously as harsh as, um, say, like, All in the Family, but you can you you can make fun of family if you know that there's love there, and that's somehow established right. over yeah. the course of it. So you can you can mock family members in this, and that's where some of the humor comes from, as well as a part of the makes charm. Makes them seem more sure. lifelike yeah, too. Exactly. When you yep. feel emotion for a character, you're more likely to believe that it's real, not a robot. Right. Even if even if people don't know. You could walk up to any to someone and say, "Explain what it means to be a member of a family." And most people look at you like you're from another planet, you know, including me. I can't really explain that. No, can't. But when you but 
But when you see it played out on a stage like that, it just works. You're like, okay, I get it. These people, yeah, like Tim said, they care about each other, but they're, you know, they're also going to give them the business. Have you ever, right. like, uh, went got off carousel progress and you're like, damn, I want to go home and, like, use appliances now. Like, I got a dishwasher and, like, <laughs> yeah. a wa- like you know, like, you just want to you just want to live and, and it makes you want to buy a house and have all these great appliances. Now I'm talking about because, like, in Philly... I lived in places where we didn't have any of those appliances yet. Like, I didn't get a dishwasher until, like, four years ago. And no, I don't. When Gary moved to Florida, he told me that he's afraid to use the garbage disposal because he's convinced that if anything goes down there, it's going to get jammed up. Yeah, and I didn't. I thought you had to empty it, remember? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because I'm like, nah, I don't use it because I don't feel like emptying it. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you got to empty it. Where's all the shit just sits in there? And I didn't know that it just... So it just liquefies it and it goes down the drain. That's it. I thought it works. Next, put, puts like, stuff down. It's like drain. magic, Gary. Next week, I teach Gary how to use air cooling. <laughs> no, I had that one figured out. My last apartment had three window units in it for one room. So there is a reason that Gary needs windows to put the, to and put one the power shitty 1975 too. air conditioning units in it. One, one power strip with three fucking air conditioners going off it. I'm going to give Gary a window that just has a 1080p picture of an air conditioner in it. Let's see how long it takes and, to figure and it out. And the wiring in the building was from 1930. <laughs> That's always good. Gary's blown the whole neighborhood again. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about that, like... Now, I went from my the last building I lived in was built. I have pictures of it from 1920. The building I'm I live in now was built in July 2013. So like like we don't have phone lines in this place. It's only Ethernet cables. And Cat five. Yeah. Yeah. And I got fucking central air. I got this fucking washer dryer <laughs> unit in house, dude. I got his and hose sinks and one bathroom. <laughs> this is the first place I. You I've sound ever... just like John and Sarah, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I've never lived in a house or an apartment that had two bathrooms with a toilet and a shower. So I mean, this is. I'm in the future. I already like, and all my appliances are GE too. So I. It's kind of a tie-in to... I feel like I'm in carousel progress. I mean, sometimes I go on that. I'm like, man, I want to go home and fucking run the dishwasher. So, I guess for GE, it was a win. If I felt that, and they weren't even uh, selling the appliances anymore, imagine what people in the 60s felt like when those appliances <laughs> were just as new to them as they were to me in 2014. Anyway, I think we I, have the uh, 2020 monologue. I think we could just take Gary's... Uh, <laughs> Gary's speech at his, his and those sinks. <laughs> Bitch, please. <laughs> yeah, once we get indoor plumbing in this place, it's going to be shit. Brought to you by GE. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can we can all identify that in any of the various tiers of approach to, to fixing Carousel of Progress, we update the final scene. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. without that's, question. That is the budget solution. And that's that's basically what I came up with. Is if, yeah. you, if, if you're going to... If you're going to cut me a very small check to do this with yep. and I have to triage this attraction and say here's what absolutely has to be done you absolutely yeah. have to do that what if they I add more slices to the pie though I'm meaning more decades I don't I, think that that is a practical solution no but what yeah, would they hit? yeah uh, I guess uh, I, if we're talking practicality now, but every always, circle that I've ever seen is comprised of 360 degrees. I always thought. <laughs> you, <laughs> well, I mean, welcome the original, to the octagon of progress. The original Carousel of Progress, the last scene was a speed ramp where you walked up in the middle and learned about yep. fusion power or atomic power, and I guess is, is that fusion power still or no? No, whatever SimCity calls it, I don't remember. <laughs> no, well, something, something about con- splitting con- atom. Splitting atoms is fission. 
And they weren't actually... Wasn't it just a mock of actually splitting atoms? Like, they weren't actually... I don't think... I, I don't they were not actually splitting a radium <laughs> in the presence of the guests. Well, I mean, uh, nobody cared just check that then. with uh, <laughs> Yesterland to see if there was actual fission going on. You, nope, you doesn't look get, like it. <laughs> they used to serve chemotherapy at, at, uh, at Starlight Race Cafe. <laughs> Radioactive fried Twinkies. <laughs> Which fried Twinkies are available in the Magic Kingdom now, if anybody's interested. Okay. <laughs> That's anyway. why Gary's feet fell off. <laughs> yeah. Too much cesium. <laughs> I went on one so, too many times. So so some of the things with that, you know, futuristic scene, do we want to set a time frame for it? I mean, you looked at, um, uh, what is it, the CES? Is that what you said it was called, Josh? Yeah. Um, so I think the Magic time period is 30 years. Okay, so trying to look 30 years into the future with it? Yeah, yeah. Let's go the uh, the Back to the Future approach. Thirty years back, thirty years forward. Yeah, I think you have to because in thirty years, at least by then, I mean you got to think the last rendition has isn't even thirty years old yet. Yeah, it's about twenty five. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, thirty years is fine, and they've made minor upgrades to that. But the minor upgrades were enough. I mean, the flat screen TV was something I needed. But it's the thing is with the the upgrades is they're doing it to keep it modern. And not yeah. looking forward to the future. It's like, all right, we went, we've surpassed this by so much. Let's uh, maybe we get rid of the old like IBM clunky ThinkPad that's like green and black screen, and upgrade right. with like a regular, uh, more modern laptop and a flat screen TV and everything. But we'll still that's keep the wrong way to go. Sorry, yeah, sorry. what was that, I was just saying, I, I think that's the wrong way to go because it's it's not really what that. What that ride is about is not technology. It's about your life because of technology. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, It's about revolutions. And the revolution is that now we have a computer in the house. A revolution is not now we have a better computer in the house. Yeah. So the question becomes, what is the technology that's going to infiltrate our lives in 30 years that's going to change the way we live and that's going to change the way we interact with each other? Because the, the, the beauty of Horizons, and we're definitely getting – this is probably episode 20, but – most, I think that the way you make a compelling attraction about technology is that you don't make it about technology. You make it about people. And the, you know, the medium is technology. That's the mechanism of change. But that's what Carousel Progress is all about. And that's what all of those scenes are really about. It's about Patricia and the vibrating exercise machine. <laughs> no, you're right, though. It is, it is the interaction with technology. Didn't work then. Doesn't work now. <laughs> Consistent, at least. Makes a lot of noise and blows fuses. Have you ever met Fuses? That guy is the man. <laughs> Constantly getting high fives. Uh, but but with, the, with the interaction with technology, inevitably it always fails, too. So trying to predict 30 years into the future, we're not only trying to predict what technologies are going to be relevant, but how and no. if they'll fail as well, which is Absolutely. And one of the things that people, you know, in general, we, we kind of look at future world and Tomorrowland and having two similar concept lands in the same uh, resort is tough but one thing that future world had always done was look at the history of something and something that was you can even look at that exercise machine where uh i think what is it it was all the rage in the 30s and they just had to pull it back out of the attic like looking a little bit in the past while still being in the future if that makes sense so like um if we're doing a scene then it's 2030 2040 Maybe there is something that's dusted off from, you know, twenty eighteen. The twenties sort of like, were even retrofitted too. They were the you would plug your lights into or you'd plug your vacuum cleaner into a light socket and all the wires were on the exteriors of the wall and stuff like that. So I mean you you have to think 
of how many old neighborhoods and home because it's really a show about homes and how your home life is going to get better. All this stuff is just going to be retrofitted over your current house. I mean, they don't really focus on like brand new construction stuff. So there's a thread that runs through those slices of pie that are the theater, and it's it's that even as the technology changes, there's something about it that's continual. There, there's a continuity there. You know, whether it's the the exercise machine that doesn't work the world or the voice activated. Humans always stay the same. But the technology. It, it has this way of enhancing life, but somehow never quite living up to its, you know, potential, uh, right. which is certainly an analog for people as well. But I, I think that that's part of the charm of that attraction. As you can see, someone who's never was not alive in the 20s and who has never seen that exercise machine can relate to a fluky sort of exercise machine that someone would have been convinced to buy, even though it doesn't work. And, you know, if this were a more adult-oriented park, there might be a shake weight commercial on in the future. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, these it's like everything is so different, yet the things that we actually relate to as human beings, the, the failures, the and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just the, the challenges of life, those all stay, stay the same. And that is the thread that ties all of that together. And if you look at Horizons, it was the same. Here's one thing that makes Carousel of Progress different to all the people who wrote it when it first came out. To us, all the past scenes are fantasy. It's what we know it to be like watching that, but we weren't really there. Now imagine you're a 40, 50-year-old person, 60-year-old person, and you lived through all that, and you saw it all. You knew what it was really like going through. All we can do is speculate kind of what it was like through there. So in a way, it really is kind of like a fantasy thing. But getting to your point... It's fantasy from the past, and then it'll be fantasy into the future, which is fine. So really, you can go in the future, you can really do anything you want. But your point about Horizons, that really was... They were probably thinking at the time, like, we already have the sequel to Carousel of Progress. I think even Disney, uh, some kind of documentation, said that it was the continuation of Carousel of Progress. So they didn't put much thought on what that last scene needed to be. You need to remember, too, this is an attraction that even if they update it, it's not going to bring that many people in, but everybody no. knows Carousel Progress, but I just, I don't see any motivation for them to do that, especially when Horizons was around, and now to redo the entire, uh, but then again, the 50th anniversary, well, Disney World's coming up, so maybe that'll change, but you'd have to redo the entire narration, which would, unless you're going to sync it completely to the current programming, should be tough, but in a way, you kind of have to do that anyway, because every scene has to be like, what, four minutes or something like that? I think that's the time. Um, yeah, they, all, they definitely all have to be the same. They have to yeah. be the same length, and if you're if you're putting in uh, a new final scene, you're probably going to need to re-record the previous three yeah, scenes. Yeah, at I the mean, very that, because because the actors just are a dead. black family at the end. And I, <laughs> and I I actually don't think that that's a bad thing because one thing that I would probably throw technology at that I don't think would hurt the charm is I think I would I would probably put a better audio system in there. Yeah, it's not definitely. it's not terrible. But it could be better. There, there's... What they did at Hall of Presidents recently uh, with the audio system, with the video system, was head and shoulders better than any similar type of presentation. And this is, while a different tone, a similar type of presentation in an, an animatronic stage show. Oh, somebody's right. Very much so. And, and there is, um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a concept in home theater called sound staging, which is that you don't just want big booming ambient sound, but you actually want sounds to be localized from I where you're coming from. I heard it's all about from. that bass, no and, trouble. <laughs> yes, this is, yeah, if it's ever the Carousel of Progress brought to you by Beats, we're going to have a bad time. That, <laughs> well, that's that is definitely thing. French frying when you should have The pizza. worst part of the last scene is that... 
coming in from the like the outside dance oh, party. Oh, from the out dance there. party. Like, yeah. <laughs> the last scene. You don't get it in the other ones. When you get to that last scene and they're yeah. playing like Macarena, it, it sucks. You know? Anyway, yeah. that's a whole different thing. Maybe put some acoustic <laughs> panels on the outside. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's room for improvement there. And, and, and that's something that, like I was saying, whenever I look at these overhauls, my fear is that the you know they're going to rip the soul out and put something technological into the sake of technology, which is which is not what I'm about. I you know I think you have to treat these things gently, and it, you almost have to be like the docent of a museum. You have to recognize that there there's something here that was created that worked. You don't want to let some amateur come in with their chisel and you know destroy something that can never be recreated. Because if there's anything that that studying the history of the parks has shown us, it's that with very very rare exception. Uh, once they destroy an attraction, you don't get it back. Right, right. So, what is the what is the pitch here to redo the entire narration and update the final scene? So, we we have our basic pitch of uh, like the the budget conscious pitch. Redo the final scene some point in the future. You guys are looking at 2040, 2050. I I had it at twenty twenty. I had it kind of keeping it relatively modern in that. But well, my thing is that, that is you can't. You could use imaginary techniques to just do something crazy off the wall that's not even close to being. And I don't think that's today. a good choice. I, I think it needs to be. Remember when Tom Brady almost caught that ball in the Super Bowl? I do. I do remember that. That's this I is hate you tip, both. really. I was there. Yeah, <laughs> that butterfingers. That is where the technology needs to be. I think to be compelling. I think there's something that is persuasive about. You know, something that it's like, man, I wish I could have that today. It's like, I know I'm going to get it eventually, but I want Flying it now. Cars. I well, think, here's, here's well, an idea for something like that. So okay. what we just had a, uh, a rocket launch today. Mm-hmm. So yep. let's combine Gary's idea of a window to whatever we want. And you basically turn that window in the, uh, behind the scene to that particular rocket launch. You can turn your entire dining room window, a uh, floor to ceiling window, into a look outside. And you're right on the... Uh, uh, right on the launch pad of a, yep. a SpaceX launch. W- why can't we do something like that? Like yeah, th- no, those I are the types of things that are. Totally you know. There was a house it, in the 1964 or 65 World's Fair that was built completely underground, and they actually did build a few of these, and it's actually still there. Nobody, there's a rumor that it may have been filled in or not. So it's a it's an underground house, and they built the walls inner tier of the walls house maybe about 10 feet separate from the outside, and they kind of painted a backdrop on it. So it was almost like a Carousel Progress style house. So in a way, they kind of did that, but they didn't use video screens. But I'm telling you right now, if I could buy an underground house yeah, no, with well, windows onto that... a fake window, I mean, this is just a completely different thing anyway. But so, so I believe that house you're describing was actually a former Titan II missile silo that somebody bought and converted into a house. Oh, okay. Well, there was a I company think. that was selling these houses, and they actually—they, uh, I think it was NCIS. It had a mini golf course in it. Yeah, and a little pool and everything like that, and a fake sunset yep. out the window, and I think the lighting would change. Like, you could change the... There was murals on the wall of, like, landscapes and stuff, and you can change the lighting. And um, <clears throat> I know they used the house as an episode of, like, NCIS, like, maybe 10 or 15 <laughs> years ago, but rumor now is that it's caved in, and... Um, there's also rumors that it's still there, but people are trying to, like, people know where the entrance is. Imagine if you can get in there now and just walk around and still find that, like, sitting down there. Because apparently, like, when the World's Fair ended, they just demolished everything, and they just demolished the entrance. But people found the entrance and opened up, went in there, and now I've heard to keep people out of there, they just imploded the whole thing. But, I mean, come on, I said the same thing about Hitler's bunker, and that was open to like, the, <laughs> the 80s or 90s. So, <clears throat> anyway, you were saying? So, 
I was going to say the the one idea I had. If you think of some of the scenes in Carousel Progress now, and I I admit I can't remember which one it is, but it even though it takes place inside the house, there's a lot of discussion about activities that are going outside the house, and you know going to see the fireworks with your boyfriend yep. or whatever. And I, I think autonomous driving is something that we're probably going to see in the next twenty yeah, to thirty years. Have to have that a lot less than that. And and I would love. I think to me. The misbehaving oven, the oven that heats to the wrong temperature yeah. based on conversation, the, the to me a very easy. How many times have you said something close to "Hey Siri" or "Hey Alexa" where the commercials came on yeah. and set off your oh, thing? If you say "serious," your phone the fact goes that you off. just oh, did see, that, look, you just pissed off about thirty <clears throat> listeners. My phone. <laughs> when I just like, said that, my Siri, "Hey Siri," just came on. Yeah, no. So my idea is like with autonomous driving, sort of take the oven joke and, and parlay it into that because, you know, imagine them having a conversation about someplace they went before and then the car takes them to the wrong. You know, there's there's just a lot of jokes to play there. And I think that's important because as much as I love technology, and I'll admit I had a tear in my eye when, when that roadster went into space today and was heading toward Mars <laughs> oh, with David Bowie playing in the background. Yeah, I'd um, I got a chance to actually see that outside while I was watching it on YouTube. That was pretty fucking cool. Incredible. I mean, I was around, I, I've been a space nerd my whole life, and eight years ago, I, I listened to the quote-unquote experts of the space industry say that Elon Musk was nuts and he would never reach orbit at all. And not only did he reach orbit with the Falcon 1 and the Falcon 9 and get billions of dollars worth of contracts, he one-upped himself by sending a Tesla, which is the other company that he started, and he launched it to Mars while David Bowie was playing, and there was a star man in the seat wearing a spacesuit that he invented. Well, like, if you want to be a badass, like, forget the Super Bowl. Like, all right, I appreciate the fact that you could throw a ball good. This guy threw something to Mars. You know, this is, to me, I mean, I have to think that there were probably thousands of kids watching that today who decided that they want to be an engineer. You know, this accomplishment and it being presented uh, in a in a very theatrical way is going to change people's lives and it's probably going to change mankind well this is disney has that opportunity with a, with an attraction like this they in this future scene it needs to speak to people it need, it needs to not only say hey the future is going to be awesome it also needs to say hey kids you could be a part of shaping this you have the power to grow up and be someone who turns these fantasies into reality. Let me. We, I was talking about earlier how I went from 1920s structure to a a modern structure, and like now I'm sitting in my living room and watch rockets go up in the air from spaceports. Yeah, but actually, my you're not, living in the future. But uh, to be fair, though, when they when they launched from Wallops in Virginia, I was also sitting in my living room in my 1920s apartment watching rockets go in the air. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't but the those same are little... thing. But like those here, are like shit I can, yeah, I can hear a song. Yeah, I know they were fucking te- Estes or Estes. Or Estes. But hold on. Hey Siri, increase temperature to 950 degrees. <laughs> Nine seven five, jackass. Uh, and we dedicate this show to the life oh, of Gary Hall, who passed away after being cooked at his apartment. She says she doesn't see anything connected, but she would do it, and that's yeah. Hey Siri, I like increase, how we're waiting for Gary's Apple devices. <laughs> the fourth member of the cast he screwed it up. Increase so, oven temperature to three hundred and fifty degrees. I have a. Um, can you do that, Josh? With like with your Alexa, can't you tell her like? Yeah, you can it set it up. Alexa yeah, I, turns on our uh, our basement. We've Alexa turned on my wife the other day. Sure. <laughs> start, like, oh, see, start just went off. <laughs> <laughs> so we we've talked about the final scene, and we can 
we're, we're gonna we're gonna be hitting on all this stuff in a subsequent episode as well and i think uh one of our goals here is to possibly even write up that four minute script and even have listeners uh record some audio for it and just put it all together as something that we can present a rocket launch outside like you know they have the backdrop paintings I think uh, I can get Kristen Sotokun to narrate the future. Well, you, know, so. you, know, okay. you know, they used to do the, and they still do it sometimes, like in Epcot, they'll use the light to animate stuff, like whether it be a sun or they use it for fire a lot in the Maelstrom ride. One of the backdrops, they could actually have rockets taken off in the background as like a normal occurrence. Because, dude, in 10, 15 years, nobody's going to be like, oh, you watching the rocket launch tomorrow? It's just going to be like a twice a week thing, maybe three, maybe more than that, I'd think. Like, as space travel gets more commercialized, at least in 20 years, how obscure do you think a rocket launch is going to be? Do you think it's going to be something that happens a couple times a week, or is it still going to be like once a month? Well, to answer that question, the answer lies in the past. When the Apollo program ended and Congress was being petitioned to provide the funding for the space shuttle program, the promise of that program was that spaceflight was going to be cheap and that they could launch one to two a week which would be 104 flights a year if they did two a week, right? Checking um, your math on that, 50 yeah, to check that, <laughs> run the numbers. <laughs> we crunched that. that Carry the two. You know, obviously that didn't pan out. So right now the great hope for space travel is the private sector and SpaceX today and over the past couple of years has shown that they might very well be on, pa- on pace to do that. Again, it comes down to what Tim said earlier. There's really no way to know. But I think that if SpaceX's value proposition turns out to be true, then what you're saying is 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 right. It will be much more regular, but it still will be much less frequent than, say, air travel. So why does Elon Musk not have a pavilion in Epcot? If you want to get millions of the, millions of Americans excited about something, have a Tesla pavilion. Obviously, you can't do Tesla because GM's there. They're not going to renew if they do something like that. And I think GM needs to focus on autonomous cars and their pavilions because that seems to be their future that they're aiming for. But to have a space pavilion sponsored by HP instead of SpaceX? Like, come on, well, In my opinion, the way to get Elon Musk into the parks is with my least favorite attraction, which is the Speedway. You put an autonomous driving attraction there to, to overcome what is going to be the biggest yeah. problem for that industry, which is the stigma of self-driving cars. It makes you start- they can't hate each other. Exactly, and you play off what everyone defends that attraction with is this threshold experience. Well, if children are having this transitional, you know, event in a self-driving car, then when they get their license, they're not going to have any any reason not to be comfortable with that. Well, that's though. It's gonna. You're gonna have to make it fun. That's well, so what I'm thinking is uh, reverse polarized magnets. When you get close to somebody, it just pushes you off real quick. <laughs> so here, here's something that like you're, we're talking about self-driving cars. It's kind of a, a must include in that future scene. Uh, it's already happening in Florida. Uh, our favorite um, one just bust uh, through the window in the back. Old old folks uh, <laughs> orgy place, the villages in Florida. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. They they've got self driving cars in a self contained area, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Disney World itself, not even just in the context of a future scene in in Carousel of Progress or on the the Speedway, Disney World itself is a self-contained area where they can basically pilot this technology and probably aren't that far off from doing Wasn't it. Wasn't somebody saying yep. they were, quote, whitening the lines to... For I think Len was probably saying that. Yeah, for, for self-driving autonomous vehicles. I know autonomous buses were talked about for a while, but just... You'd think... That's what you'd think that any autonomous vehicle would be showcased. Like, 20 years ago, 
an autonomous vehicle would be showcased in Walt Disney World first. That's the first place you'd probably yeah. see it. Well, and that, that really goes back to one of the first things I said on this episode, which is that I, I think the Disney company has not only lost its passion for the future, but I think they've become very tepid and afraid to, to dip their toe into that. And, and that's that's where you just need future-looking people who can present these things in palatable ways. And, and I, Bring I, a tiger into the meeting if you have to. Yeah. Bring a robotic tiger. <laughs> self-driving. Even self-driving more tiger. <laughs> yeah. So, Swing well, all the predictability of a tiger RPM. coupled with the unreliability of an Intel processor. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to look at uh, we've we've kind of we've hit on the the budget solution, but I think the future scene is probably going to be consistent throughout. Um, what is did the you budget? guys have the the budget solution is you you change the final scene to something in the future, basically right. some point twenty twenty to twenty forty. Pick a throw a dart and, and the pick a year and uh, uh, sorry what and then and the pre yeah, scene like narrations leading up to that or do you just only change the last one? If we're being realistic though, budget, I yeah. think they would only change the last one. I don't. Yeah, think that, that is the true budget. That is the true budget conscious solution. But I don't I think, think that re-recording. If you didn't even change the narration, to re-record that is just not a cost. It's not a very expensive process. Um, I don't believe. But I, I think the, the one that's more intriguing to, to me is that mid-range solution. And we've we talked Great. about it in our in our various chats. The pitch that I have, my, my elevator pitch for it was we keep 1900s, we move 1940s over, we eliminate the 1920s scene. No way, 1920s is the best scene there. We add in 1980s and then we and then we then we <laughs> then we add in a future scene. Wasn't 1980 your idea anyway, Gary? Well, I think yeah, it is fine, but I the 1920 scene is like the best scene in there. You know, so my thought on this, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, go ahead. I, I think that the 1900 and the 1920 scene are to most young guests. I, I don't think that there's a meaningful distinction in the minds of most guests when they that's see that. Fair. You could start so, 1920. That's fine, but, you, but yeah, the, I, the I distinction think that's really is is life before electricity. And so, agreed. So you really do need to show something before electricity because electricity, we're still living in it now, changed the world. 1940s, there was a, a great time of prosperity where a lot of things came out to be. Television was just kicking off and stuff like that. So you really can't leave that out. The 19, the, really the only last scenes that really one you need to change. I mean, because, yeah, things have advanced there, but you could skip a lot of those. Deck- I mean, what are you going to showcase a VCR in the 1980s or a dust? Well, exactly. It, well, it's more like that's a fun scene to do, and I think that's that's almost like what gets people in there because you have there yeah. is quite a bit of nostalgia in the 80s where you can hit on a bunch of different pop yeah. culture things you, that that would kind of get people through the door, and it's more than just changing that final scene. The final I, scene you're predicting in the future. This is. A lighthearted look back and I mean, mock of the right. really. If they would have done this in, in the year two thousand, they could have went nineteen forty, and then instead of doing nineteen sixty, they could have just not did nineteen eighty, and then the present. You're already in when you leave your eye in the year two thousand. Like you don't See, have to do features. I understand why you say they need to have a scene before electricity, but I, but I don't think that they do. And the fact of the matter is, if you are a twenty year old person right now and you walk in there. Life before electricity in their minds. Yeah, it's, if like, you, ca- if it's you, like caveman shit, really. You, I, I agree. If I, I teach a college course right now, and I'm telling you, if I ask my students how long ago did electricity get invented, they're going to tell or get discovered, and you know where it was distributed as infrastructure. 
To them, it might as well be a thousand. Yeah, my nephew. Was <coughs> might as well be a thousand years ago. My nephew was born in the year two thousand, and he couldn't believe there was a time before cell phones. Like he just thought they yeah. were always around. Right. So I think if you move that nineteen twenty scene to being the first, but we're also one. talking about okay. touching a. Here's the the thing with this ride, though, is this is a original nineteen sixty four World's Fair ride. If you touch them old scenes, I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna be fucking pissed. The last one you can Except they've already been touched though. They're, these aren't the exact same scenes. They're not the exact same scenes. Well the nineteen hundreds one is. The the fucking the first one right there where he's reading the paper and all that shit. That's the same thing. And if you don't believe yeah, me, look at the goddamn video of Walt Disney standing there <laughs> in that scene with the same the- gas lamp that's there, the same stove that's there. So I you know, nineteen one yeah. But go but this ride, more than almost any other, is modular. If they did have a travesty, you know they Just could like pull the these pieces out. It can't. Yes, I'm changing sl- my thing. Just don't. Imagine a wedge of pie that could be slid in like a dresser drawer. I mean, I if you could I load do- and unload on the same scene, you could get an extra scene. Now that would be an incredible. There's your aggressive, you know, high budget money is no object upgrade is where there's 20 scenes and the wedges just slide in and out. Although that still creates a problem for the people that are behind you in the carousel. But, but nonetheless, I I think this is one that you could probably revert back to if you did make a catastrophic failure. I don't know. I just think that to some degree, having three scenes that predate overwhelmingly the age of everyone who rides the ride. It's a bit of a wasted opportunity. I don't think distinguishing between 1900 and 1920 is a meaningful time gap for most people these days. Yeah, they could read Dome, but I don't know. It would suck. It, it would be kind of like the auctioneer scene going away in Pirates. It's like, yeah, it'll be the same, but it won't be the same. Now, for the sake of my nephew or something that rides it for the first time, he's never going to know the difference. So, I mean, that's the, the hard, like I said, the hard thing with the Carousel Progress is stuff's a historic piece. If you get rid of those pieces, those are, I don't know, yeah, but- you just can't fuck them up. I mean, the last piece has never been sacred, the, the last scene. So, rape that all yeah, you but- want. But then maybe is that only because, to me, it's never had been, because I know it's not the original one. So, to all the younger guests, they're not going to have an attachment to any older scenes or anything. No, so, maybe they, they could better represent the 1920s and just start in the 1920s. Maybe talk about Edison and shit like that. I don't know. And I also think that what's really sacred there is the story. I mean, that's why the ride works. The ride yeah. doesn't work specifically because of an individual prop in that first scene. It works because there is this compelling story. And and part of me thinks, if we're in 2018 now, and we're going to show something 20 to 30 years in the future, if we, show, if we do a good job of showing how different things were 20 or 30 years ago prior to now, what that really shows is that that kind of dramatic change is possible. That is really the point of those preceding scenes, is it shows, look how much things actually changed. That happened. That's real. Therefore, this futuristic, seemingly impossible scene that we're showing you about the near future, that's also possible because you've seen that magnitude of change in the past. That is that is the overall punch that that ride So delivers. let's do 19... You obviously have to keep in the scene where electricity first came in and changed everything. So I'd say, all right, let's keep 1920. <laughs> Go to the 80s, maybe 
you know, bringing some cocaine and stuff like that. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe John has a little mirror in front of him cut up. They got the bur- <laughs> I mean, the defining moment of the 1980s is going to be the destruction of the Berlin Wall. I mean, when you think 1980s, that was it. It was the capping moment. Uh, but they, don't get too, they don't get too political in these things, so that's, uh, no, that's not even political, unlikely to be but, mentioned. And that's not what well, it's about. It's about technology evolving and changing on. people's now, lives. Have you ever and seen the now, the now is the Time video or version? They definitely got political about Oh, they absolutely did. They absolutely did. And we <laughs> and talked about that beforehand, but you're not going to get a... Uh, you're probably not going to see Patty wearing a pussy hat in the final scene. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> That'd be funny, that's, a good, that's a good strategy, though. <laughs> so I do. But if we if we look at this from a if we make the decision based on time, because that's the story, right? It's yeah. sort of it's a t- This is not presented as a Martin McFly attraction. I was just going to say, you know what? But, Let's just turn in the Back to the Future. Be done it is the, Back to the Future, Martin, though. Yeah. This well, is a time travel ride. So let's Robert do it. Robert <laughs> I mean, it's basically Forrest a Gump, year- dude. Think about it. The rotating theater of Forrest Gump. You start in the 50s, and you got him, like, running around with little braces on his legs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you start in the 20s and you move 30 years forward, that gets you to the 50s, which is perfect because it's 30 years shy of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I could agree you know, with that. And then you, you jump head. You know, maybe we cut it. I think the future one, in reality, the label we put on it in terms of the date is somewhat arbitrary because do we really know? When the video wall is going to be there, do we really know when the you know autonomous driving is going to be ubiquitous? Not really. We just sort of have a sense that it'll probably be in our lifetime, but it's going to be toward the end for us. You know, I think that creates a narrative where people can say, "Okay, you know, I can do this." And if you can just leave people walking out of that theater thinking, "Wow, you know, the future is going to be pretty awesome," and I can be a part of then shaping it. That's a win. It, yeah, that's a win. But I, that's here, an Epcot level I, success. I, I would, in a weird way, though, I wish that they somehow preserve the original one because it is very this is a hard thing for me is because it's a it's a it's a relic from the 64 world's fair which is very futuristic for its time then it had a time in disneyland then it had a time it's time in walt disney world and it's like oh, to rip out all those scenes to me it'd be like fuck i know i still love the idea of the attraction but like can i buy it and put it in my front yard or something like that like, <laughs> like, like can we like can we have the Walt Disney you know, History Museum in Epcot that has that in the middle of it? But my also an idea for the autonomous car scene. And re- you remember when in Test Track they had the car that like fucking hit the barrier and got all crunched up, but then it would reset itself and look like a regular car again. So they're sitting there talking, and an autonomous car comes busting through the wall, <laughs> and you know, they all start laughing. And then you know, Grandpa's like. Didn't work then, doesn't work now. <laughs> Consistent, at least. Makes a lot of noise and blows fuses. And then they all laugh, and then it's like... And they start playing this song. <laughs> you know, the little hi-hat. Well... So, Tim, I have a thought. And do they change we the theme song? We should keep Gary's talking in the pitch meeting to a bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair idea. Um, Gary's so, a consultant. So, I'm just going to so, be the so, hype man. Here's a few things. So, so Gary, this attraction itself you have an attachment to especially the first three scenes of the attraction i understand that this is kind of where reality has to come into play here where if we're going to update the attraction there needs to be a sacrifice of one at least one of those scenes and i could sacrifice the 40s if i had to sacrifice one okay for, for me it's the 20s i think it sounds like josh you're the 1900s but at the very least yeah. we sacrifice one of those scenes um let me make my pitch for the for keeping the 1900s and the 1940s, and this is this is definitely a very very much a stay with me here on this kind of 
for lack of a better word, silly and dumb idea. Okay. So uh, in the 1900s, when when they cut to uh, to Sarah doing the wash, there is a little girl with with Sarah doing the wash with her. She's never identified by name. We don't know who the hell she is. Uh, so I want to redo the 1900 scene and identify her as the neighbor girl, Alice. Alice is going to be the uh, not really seen other than that first scene, but often mentioned love interest for Jimmy throughout the rest of the uh, throughout the rest of the attraction, where he gets teased on about having a crush on Alice. And the payoff comes in that futuristic scene with voice activation where there's a handful of songs, a handful of bands, all that have Alice in the name. And they can be triggered by various things in the conversation where you can say, you know, you've been living next door to Alex, now playing living next door to Alice. And the song cuts on. Mm-hmm. And the the other reason why I kind of went with that is that you can also have Grandpa being confused at the end of it. Again, this is in that futuristic scene where he says something to the effect of, I thought your girlfriend's name was Alexa. A referential <laughs> thing to... Or he's the, saying the wrong name. That's good. To get yeah, exactly. Like to, to the to the autom- to the automation uh, that goes on, and it's kind of like the all right, old guy doesn't really get the uh, advancements in technology, but it kind of creates another subtle thread. So that's yeah, my reason. Like, I thought your girlfriend's name was Alexa. Is it serious? And then Siri pops in. Exactly. Like, like, Are you cheating on me, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> um. So so that was just that was really the only Setting reason why I want to keep the 1900 scene. But beyond that. Uh, there are things, if we eliminate a, if we eliminate one of these scenes, be it the 1900s, 1920s, 1940s, let's say we eliminate the 1900 scene and we do away with Tim's Alice idea. Uh, there is a very easy way to get like a, a very obvious 1900 scene reference into a 1980 scene. You end that scene with, I'm going to head over to the store and pick up a bottle of Coca-Cola. Oh, that's right. We're drinking new Coke now. Yeah. And that's a very obvious sarsaparilla root beer reference. You can do things like that and call back to those scenes without actually having them in- included. What if you paint all the first old scenes in black and white? So that's, that's a, an interesting idea. Yeah, or glasses that make stuff look black and white. Well, then you're going to take them off later. But what if you made Because that's how everybody pictures the old. The only way we know what old stuff looks like, besides with the new editions of colorized photos, is black and white. That would yeah. be an awesome so I really like that. Yeah, like it. making making a, you know, basically before exactly. 1930s scene, yeah. everything in the scene is black and black white. And white. I'm afraid that kids who are eating Tide detergent are going to walk out of there <laughs> thinking that that generation actually wasn't black and white. <laughs> <laughs> also, <laughs> too, like, that's, the thing. that's a really cool idea. Go ahead and trademark that, Josh. <laughs> Josh <laughs> I, got the paperwork now. I thought of that today when I was eating tacos. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Very relevant. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all ideas that we pitch will be in the context of what we were eating when we came up with the idea. <laughs> Would the theme song change? So that's another thing I had in my notes here, where there's no reference to now as the time version, and I don't know how you guys feel about it. I think that's a shitty there song. Tomorrowland, but the, there isn't Tomorrowland, but not in the actual attraction. Um, now is the time is well. A that was employed by GE, rip- though. They said we didn't want to talk about you know. Tomorrow being great, we want people right. to think right now is the time to buy the good attraction or the good appliances and stuff like that. So that was simply a product of General Electric being like, no, you sell now is the time to buy stuff, not tomorrow. Right. So now is the you time. You can have a transition to like another scene that just says, no, now is the time. Now is the best time. You know, like you can now reference the lyrics to the song without actually singing it. 
Um, that's a sure hit that's again at the same time. Like, I'd be afraid they put some kind of top forty bullshit in there or something like that. <laughs> you know that that mumble rap shit. Like, that's the kind of stuff they would put in there. See, the thing about that. Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow that maybe people miss, and may- maybe it's maybe I'm imputing something to it that isn't there, is that the idea about tomorrow being great is that we create tomorrow today. I mean, well, man has to a me, dream, that's, that's a Horizon line right there. But it's true, and it is. I think it's embodied in Carousel of Progress as well. You know, um, you know, it's only a dream away. You know, well, what does that mean? Whose dream? I mean, Your dream. Yeah. I mean, there's you know, this I'm, guy who had a dream about putting his car in space, and now there's a, I'm watching a live webcam of this thing just floating through space. Yeah. Top speed of the Tesla Roadster? 35,000 miles an hour. <laughs> hold on, hold on. But do you think that he's running the odometer on that? <laughs> like, do you think the wheels are spinning, or do you think they gutted everything inside that car to make it lighter? No, because the purpose of it being in there was primarily as a mass simulator. So, did they put um weight like lead weights in there too to see how much like what was the max load on that capsule? Well, the 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 payload capacity of the Falcon Heavy is on I think one hundred six thousand pounds, which a Tesla Roadster does not weigh one hundred six thousand pounds. Probably weighs four thousand pounds or three thousand pounds. So, so there's lead weights in there. Maybe. They didn't really get into that. I mean, if you're Tesla, you know, they don't patent anything because when you patent something, it becomes publicly available information. So they depend on trade secrets. Oh, yeah, that's they're, right. They're, yeah, because somebody else. Well, it so could be like they're... robot jocks, though. They could have like a rogue, like Asian guy in there stealing secrets. You guys ever see that it, movie? Yeah, it's like uh, Claude Fuchs, a German spy who infiltrated the Manhattan Project and sold his secrets to the Russians. Yes, yes. Yeah, we all know Claude uh-uh. Fuchs. Do you, Klaus, do you think Klaus, I'm, I'm ignoring that and pretending that I understood what you just said? Now, do you think uh, Claude actually Fuchs? <laughs> like, well, there's a Claude Fuchs Jr. <laughs> oh, so Claude did Fuchs. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, a little bit of a diversion there, <laughs> slightly. So, I, I think we we haven't narrowed down which scene we're going to eliminate, but I think it's fair to say we have to eliminate one of the 1900s, 1920s, and 1940s scenes. Um, and we can have that discussion possibly uh, in our uh, yet-to-be-announced Facebook group um, and kind of look at input uh, from, from listeners. But Oh, I think it's announced. It's the Marty Called Facebook group. You'll be able to find it. Okay. Facebook.com slash groups slash Marty Called. Are we, are we kind of all in agreement that we have that 1980s scene and then a futuristic scene? Yeah, I think, as a, I think 1980s is probably one of the big pinnacles of technology. It's when computing really started to take off. Yes, yep. it started you know it started in the 40s and advanced through, but like when it started getting personal and big upgrades and, and breakthroughs <laughs> in technology, it was definitely the 80s that kicked off the digital age. So yep. I, I listed up some uh, some pop culture references and things like that for the 80s, and it, it kind of shifted towards late 80s, um, and that does allow again additional references, callbacks to the current version where you can you can mention Laserdisc, which is kind of a punchline well, yeah, in, Laserdisc in, the, in the final scene, but like they came out in probably like late 70s and probably by the late 80s were more mainstream than that and uh we could have one of those tape rewinders that's like a porsche that's exactly what i what i had so my, my notes Did say you? uh uh you have to have a vcr and a vcr uh, uh, like yeah that type of thing so <laughs> but you could also do like the uh the joke of grandma beating jimmy in the uh, in the video well, game jimmy's got to have a disc or a walkman because that's like the most iconic thing from the 80s with esp protection yes or that's that's redundant. It was electronic skip protection protection, uh, but like 
grandma can be beating him in like old school Nintendo or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duck Hunt. Yeah, the autonomous yeah. car's got like the Discman Velcro to the dash with, <laughs> the, with the cassette with the wire going in it. <laughs> Do you guys so, have one of those? Oh yeah. <laughs> Piles are that, that it, the upgrade to the RF modulator that yeah. played it through the, to some unused radio station and it came through and sounded yeah, like about oh, yeah, a, yep. like a record player quality. <laughs> yeah. It was like Victrola quality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Big brass horn sticking out of the airbag. <laughs> <laughs> the airbag hit my Victrola. Look at the bass <laughs> one. He just got like a big horn in the back. Took, took out my tube. <laughs> took a tube. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that Josh mentioned was we got to identify possible hurdles to some of these problems as well. And I think that might come into play when we have a little bit more refined uh, uh, ideas for a particular scene. But something even just, that I just mentioned, uh, mentioning like Nintendo, uh, Nintendo's rights, they're over at Universal right now for any representation in the theme park. So you'd have to kind of go generic like they do right now for a video game system. Um, any pop culture reference probably has to be approved. Something like, you know, mentioning Coca-Cola, that's probably fine. They're already in the parks. But if you're mentioning, you know, if you're playing music or uh, mentioning something like Alexa or Siri, that probably needs some level of approval. Um, and we'll have to speak to counsel on that. So that's where Josh weighs in here. Um, well, the good thing about the 80s, this is not a legal response at all, but the 80s, for better or worse, and most people are probably saying for the worse, the 80s had a very distinct very distinct aesthetic mm -hmm. um you know it would not be hard you could just, if you look at any scene that's designed to reflect the 80s it's done well you're like that's the 80s you know it stands out like a sore thumb um which ironically was probably what doomed to some degree horizons because it was just yeah. riddled with that you know pink formica is the future well yeah. turns out pink formica is not the future and by the way in the future anything that has pink formica on it looks extremely old um so i think uh, I'm sure you're right. There's going to be limitations. And that's going to be the case with anything that, that that they want to do. But I don't think it would be hard to create the sense and feeling uh, of the 80s. So, so you, we keep mentioning Horizons this episode. Josh, you want to go into like the uh, the big budget solution that we had? Because uh, we, we really, I think we're probably going to end up with a mid-range solution. But we had that big budget option. That, I don't uh, recall, to be honest with you. <laughs> basically, it was, it was relocating Carousel of Progress to Future World as part uh, of a larger pavilion that would include yeah. a redesigned Horizons. And I thought you had a take on it, but I apparently could be wrong. Well, um, I mean, this was I, honestly, I mean, I've thought about this, you know, my shower fantasy, like I'm a billionaire <laughs> or something. There's just no constraints. I mean, I would love to see, uh, you know, Horizons redone where you, you go back all the way to the, to the beginning scenes and you basically do the whole time. The, the whole time travel story from beginning to end. Um, but I, I, I truthfully don't really think that that's feasible. And I, I'm not okay. really prepared to go into that. Okay, well, that's fair. I mean, the the only idea that I had, and it was really in the course of this show, is that if we are eliminating scenes from Carousel of Progress, could they then be recreated in a new version of Horizons in some way, shape, or form um, as like a diorama in that? So you wouldn't necessarily get the full four minutes uh, of a particular scene, but you might get a component of that scene because yeah, I mean, horizons did look at the past present and future so. the advantage you have with a with a dark ride to be sure is that you're not constrained by this 360 degree circle i mean there is a fundamental limit here that you're just not going to be able to cram a lot of seeds into the carousel of progress because of its very makeup so <laughs> so let's know. let's do this then with uh i think we're we're kind of leaning towards that mid-range solution anyway uh when we put this out to our listeners, 
if any listeners has a take on a New Horizons attraction, by all means, throw it out to us. And if we think there's something there, we may explore it further. But I think we're inclined to go and push for that mid-range solution as the likeliest uh, scenario here. Um, and we'll look at, uh, you know, we'll hammer down which scenes we want to eliminate. Uh, it sounds like we're leaning towards eliminating 1900s. And we'll probably come up with new scripts for at the very least the final scene, but possibly the 80s scene and maybe some of the others others as well. And that would be a situation where we'd call upon listeners for uh, recording some uh, some some voice tracks as well. So I think that, Absolutely. Uh, that that's intriguing. We're all agreeing that Morgan Freeman on I it. Yep, we'll have Morgan Freeman uh, as John, uh, right, which would be pretty awesome. Track. Yep. <laughs> uh, before we close out, do we want to go over how we got to the name Marty Called? So do you not want Gilbert Godfrey to do the narration? Because I think that would <laughs> under really... Under new management. That would really kick <laughs> it out. Progress under new management. <laughs> yeah, that would be great with Mr. Bean and Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hit a few of the names that we... Okay. So, Unless uh, you think that we didn't prepare from this. We have a short, abbreviated list of about 723 names that we contemplated. There's a, at least 120 on this list. Yeah. In, in deference to most generic podcasts, which I think was, uh, what did you guys spend? A good 17, 18 seconds on that, or what? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> no, we spent a while on that one, when that one came out. We're like, yeah, let's just name it that. It's a podcast okay. about nothing, so... <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit these uh, uh, Ted two style or Ted I think it was the original Ted when he's going through all the names. So uh, these are some of our rejected show names. We have Lassiter's Casting Couch, Blue Sky's Sex Dungeon, BDSM. B, this is a tough one to say. BDS Imagineering, Blue Sky Podcast, and I don't get the spelling of this one. You guys want to explain that to uh, me, the uh, ignorance which, person here? Which one? Uh, I think Blue it's just spelled. I think it's just spelled wrong. I don't think there's a joke there. <laughs> Who yeah. doesn't know how to spell sky? S-K-I-G-H. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I think but... it was supposed to be a play on high and sky. Well, that, that clearly hit hit well. Uh, we have, yes, we so have if you're Blue high, Skin you wouldn't have Blue Skate of Test is a good one. Uh, bangers and Mash in the Mornings. Armchair Zoo with Meathead and the Douche. <laughs> uh, 1402 Flower Street, uh, a reference to the Imaginary Headquarters at 1401 Flower Street. I nixed that one specifically because it required that explanation. (laughs) Uh, WDW Fanboys, fan spelled P-H-A-N for some reason. Uh, Imaginary Now with Ryan Kennedy. Uh, Project Blue Sky, Project Reimagining. Disney's Kaleidoscope Podcast, that's mocking the Hollywood Studios rename ideas. Well, let's stop right there. Cinemagic or... Cinemation really going to be the name of the new that's uh, Jim Hill touting that one but um, has not been officially named we could just spell it like S-I-N and the same yeah (laughs) Uh, Cinemagic we have have Table of Washed Up Podcasters Uh, (laughs) that's that's like every Ohana meetup (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's pretty much (laughs) Uh, Retlaw Productions Communicore Biweekly Project (laughs) Wed uh, this is one that was mentioned early on. Marty called wants changes, and I think we just it got buried in our discussion. Yeah. Um, uh, WDW Kingdom Cast Plus. That was uh, gonna piss off some people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Project Dreamport, Century 3, Dreamfinders. It was at this point where Josh said, we, Tim, enough with the imagination references. So we've trademarked uh, all these, right? Somebody's yeah, these are all trademarked. Again, we'll speak with counsel about yeah, this. I bought every, it's all every domain on here has been bought, by the way. There's, there's one down the line that I think is actually a really good uh, podcast name, just not for this one. Uh, the New Progress City, uh, The Florida Project, Move the Planters, Ricky, This is Amazing, WDW Today, we didn't even try on that one, uh, The Day After Tomorrowland, now that's what I call a podcast, Volume 2, uh, Tim Bop, Florida Project Podcast, Project X, Progress City Radio, WPPR, WPCR, uh, Bay Lake Studs, Century 3 Podcast, Reedy Creek Coxman, Reedy Creek Coxman. <laughs> You can't just blow through that without... <laughs> yeah, you gotta Reedy slow Creek's, down some of these. The Reedy Creek's Coxman, <laughs> in all honesty, should have been the name. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can always change it later. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, episode two will be called Reedy Creek Coxman. Yeah. Uh, uh, future Port, Penetrode. I did watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Who came up with Penetrode? That was fine. That was based on the uh, uh, Office Space, wasn't office it? Office Space, yeah. Uh, great Big Beautiful Podcast, Paradise Piers, spelled P-E-E-P-E-E-R-S. Did I throw an extra E in there? Uh, if we can dream it, we can do it. Carousel of, Pro- Carousel of Podcast, One Little Spark, Sightlines, which was the name the for a while. That, yeah, yeah that was what we were going for for a while. That and, was why Tim hated it from the yeah. beginning. <laughs> I, I was like, all right, I got to do better than this. Some of these half-assed names that I'm coming up with are no good. Uh, the Tim Grassley experience. Um, so we also had a discussion. <laughs> I get this, this is the best one coming up. <laughs> <laughs> we had a discussion over, over like whether or not we were going to go with nicknames in the intro. And I said, if it's, as long as it's not a Jim Hill-related int- uh, nickname, I'm cool with it. So, so I you got to change well. your Twitter handle then. <laughs> I think uh, yours is kind of long, though. The count of wait, the count of Christos. Christos, though, that's a little bit on the nose for me, right? In light of today's launch of the Roadster into space, I think the show could be called Lens Tesla. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Got trademark too. We got to catch an Imagineer, I believe. <laughs> I love that one. I go and have a seat over there, Joe. Have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you said re- I don't want to blank the cat. <laughs> <laughs> or I want to blank the cat. <laughs> Tell me about that. We have uh, Retlaw Radio, uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang, Sightline EPC, Project Sightlines, Park Tank, which I think might we we still may use that name for. Yeah, a, that's pretty good. That could be an episode, like a volume episode, where you could have a couple of those. Uh, WDW Sightlines, the Hasty Overlay Podcast, the Roadies Lobe Experience, <laughs> Mark Sumner's Erector Set. <laughs> <laughs> We got some good ones coming up. Tommy Fitz and the Beach Boys, uh, Pentacus Dodecahedron, uh, Blue Skyway. Yeah, so I say it. I don't know if it's correct or not. I always said the Dactadarian or something. I don't know. That's definitely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That is incorrect. Why would you make a word whatsoever? And may God have mercy on yourself. Why would you make a word that that long? I know what it is. Isn't it like the shape spaceship Earth? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a twenty-sided die. Yeah, that's what I said. I think yeah. Spaceship Earth has more than 20 facets. <laughs> Only 20. <laughs> I haven't counted them, but I'm pretty, pretty comfortable with my answer on this one. Uh, Mark 7, Project Mapo, Mapo Radio, MK1, Project Blue Skylines, Mapo in the Mornings, Mapo Morning Zoo, Project 64, uh, <laughs> I4 Podcast, Empty Lot Podcast, Brown I4 Podcast. Oh, it says Empty, <laughs> empty Lot Productions online. Yeah, sorry, Empty Lot Pro- Productions. Brown, right. brown I4. <laughs> That had to be Josh's. <laughs> uh, Latin America Land Corporation podcast, Riles Island podcast, 
three dudes, one mic. That's a winner. <laughs> Roy's Stabbing Cabin podcast. <laughs> I think I should lose for a segment. <laughs> this one I'm very proud of. I'm taking credit for this one, and I think it probably should have won. It's kind of a cute podcast. <laughs> Come pretty on. Good. That's pretty clever. Uh, Hopefully you're rolling on, yeah. Maroon Studios, Project Gemini. Project the 21st Century began on October 1st, 1982. <laughs> Rolls off the top. <laughs> project Electric Umbrella. This might have been let's really be, late. Let's be honest. The Project 21st Century began on 20, October 21st. October 1st, 1982 wasn't available as a domain, so that's why we did <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, that would have been. <laughs> and I, I admit, we might have been drinking a little during the creation process here. <laughs> Uh, Project City Expo, Dizflix. I think that's a contender. We could probably get that website cheap. Yeah, we probably could. What about you? Did you skip Project Electric Umbrella? Uh, Project Electric Umbrella. Um, Dizflix. Dizflix is good if you want to buy a lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just want to get involved with something. Yeah, I just like to be a defendant. <laughs> Beanflix. We have uh, Forty Acres and a Mule podcast. Oh, I, think this is, I think this is just Gary uh, making fun no, of. Uh, no, blame them. That was that was That was his night when he was all mladdered up. <laughs> we have uh, Scrim Screening Scoodles again, reference to uh, <laughs> Kingdom Cast. Uh, Roy was a cuck. Blue Line Podcast. <laughs> Roy Scoodles. was a cuck. <laughs> You imagine trying to get like Bob Gurr on, be like, "Hey, you want to come on the Roy was a Cut podcast?" <laughs> uh, Scoodles Flight School podcast, podcast with trans. Uh, <laughs> That's a very inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce this one. Two sn- t- t- no, 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 no. I, I spelled it wrong. Touching Pinos. Touching Pinos, okay. Because uh, Josh is a big fan of the, the Pinot Noir, and so, like, when we, uh, when we're, I'm a great <laughs> see here, audio uh, auto correcting in front of my eyes, it's pretty cool. It's my favorite type of film as well. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, when we're drinking wine together, Joel's like, What are you guys touching Pinos? <laughs> you had to drink Pinot Noir to get it. Anyway. We have, uh, the Tour de Franzia, that didn't get mentioned. Uh, Epcot Latrans podcast, Feature Core, Jammeters, Shit, Sweat, and Shears, uh, the Mac. <laughs> The Meth Lab Experience Project Get Tim Laid. Uh, that was also taken. <laughs> that was also taken. <laughs> Marie got it and redirected it to something else. Uh, Retro Rubs Podcast, Forced Perspectives, uh, Layers of Story, Myth of Story, Storyboarding, Dingo and the Baby, JF and the Bears, uh, <laughs> which was uh, obviously a play on Gary and myself being a, a very popular in the uh, Bear in, community. In the Yes. Uh, excelled perspectives, forced sightlines. Hey, words for a big panda. Anyway, uh, ch- channeling Walt, searching for Walter Disney, Laughograms podcast, Ozell, Elias in the mornings, two fingers in a hand rolled. Death Row records. Death Row records. Just one spark. Magical memories podcast. Idea land. Fourteen oh one. Skyline. Destination. Fourteen oh one. Baxter's core. Uh, Association of Imagineering Disney Stories, <laughs> or AIDS, uh, uh, T-Backs and the Gang, Wedcast, Shrunken Ned's Junior Imagineers, WDI Under New Management, Blue Skywalkers. Uh, this is my personal favorite, and I, I fear that somebody's going to take this one day. Uh, two Guys, a Girl, and a Laughing Place, uh, Increase in Lateral Forces, Pulling G's, The Optimist, Getting Walt with Ward, Two Fingers, and an Ink and Paint. <laughs> I, think, I think Getting Walt with Ward is a good one. <laughs> That is very good. I stepped on the other one. Two fingers and an ink and paint girl. Uh, <laughs> Walt's favorite. That was his pick. Yep. 
uh, Bay Lake Historical Society, Key to the World, World Key, Spaceship Girth, Walt the Fuck Podcast, Adventures Through Inner Excel Files, First World, Pro- First World Problems, Ask Gas or Fast Pass, and Marty's Answering Machine, which then prompted Gary to just say, let's do Marty's Call and be done with it. And we were all like, yeah, that's brilliant. Let's do that. That's how so, As they say, you should always go with your 712th answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was just a text file that went for a long time. Yeah, I also like... There, there was a lot of good ones in here. I liked Wedcast. I like uh, Mapo Radio was good. I don't think that one's been used. Like some seem so obvious that they haven't been taken because everybody wants to do every variation of ears possible with a radio. Right, right. And I mean, to come on, dude. So for people that don't know uh, the Marty called reference in the final scene of the current uh, Carousel of Progress, there's a bulletin board behind uh, Sarah in that final scene, and it just has a bunch of notes on it. But one of them says Marty called wants changes, and it's a reference to then uh, head of Imagineering Marty Sklar. Uh, basically, uh, like a instead of a hidden Walt or a hidden Mickey, it's a hidden Marty, and uh, that's where that reference comes from. So it's a little bit inside baseball, but uh, most Disney fans are at least familiar with that reference. Yeah, so that's a that's pretty well known one. And if you're going to yeah. have a podcast about Imagineering and armchair Imagineering, I think that that was probably one of the most fitting names. And it, it kind of pays homage to hiding stuff like in that in an attraction like Imagineers too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Marty Called. Sure, check out martycalled.com. The Facebook group will be up and running by the time this comes out on Friday, February ooh, 9th. February 9th, yes. February 9th. There'll probably be Amazon links and all that stuff. Utilidors.com. Utilidors.com. Uh, VirtualDisneyWorld.net also sponsors the show. And so w- does WWE yes. Parks. Why not? That's right. No, yeah. No, it's that also sponsors the show. We already got a couple sponsors lined up. That's three right there. <laughs> so yeah. Well, until next time. See you later. See ya. See ya.